everyone. I'm Priest Willis, and this is Missions and Marketplace Podcast, episode number 52. Today, I'm joined by Chad Carson. Chad, who also goes by the name Coach Carson, started with only $1,000 in the bank and was able to build up a real estate empire that now consists of over 90 units. It's an incredible story of hard work, intelligent money management, and perseverance. So listen to find out how he did it. I promise you, this is a good episode. He got me excited. And if you've ever wanted to know what it felt like to be a full-time real estate investor when the entire housing market collapsed in 2008, hear how Chad survived despite making over 50 acquisitions in 2007 alone. Chad is a real estate investor, world traveler, father of two children. He's an amazing guy. He has a lot going on. In fact, when him and I were speaking, he was in Ecuador. He's originally from Clemson, South Carolina. Such a great guy to talk to. Great spirit. So willing to share his knowledge. I can't wait till you get a chance to listen to this. So without further ado, here is my man, Chad Carson. Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders to discuss their passions in and outside of business and how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hey, Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, great to be here, Priest. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I told you this a little bit offline, but I'm getting into real estate. I'm starting to take my license here in North Carolina, and I have three thick books from J.Y. Monk to prove it. And so I started just doing all kinds of searches on real estate and all this good stuff. And I came into you. You like sold up the market for keywords on real estate and other stuff. So that's good to hear. Yeah, great articles on your own personal blog, bigger pockets. So you're somebody that I wanted to talk to just on a personal level. But I think you have a lot to share with our audience. With that, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So kind of my entrepreneurial slash real estate story is that I graduated from college about 15 years ago. So I'm 37 years old now. And uh, I was a, I played football in college, actually. So I got a college scholarship. And the reason that's kind of relevant is that I didn't have any I didn't have any college debt when I got out of Clemson University. And mm-hmm. so I was fortunate in that respect that I, I had a kind of a wide open field. You know, I was, I was looking at a lot of different things. I was looking at uh, med school because I was a biology major and I like that. And I looked at working for some big corporations and kind of going that route. And, but I had this little third opportunity that kind of tugged at me and, uh, it was, uh, just to become an entrepreneur and just go ahead and start right away without ever going it working for anybody else, just be an entrepreneur from the beginning. And so that's where I, that's the path I took for better or worse, uh, right after college. And I kind of got started. So I, the reason I got started in real estate, this field was a field that interested me. It was my father had uh, rental properties when I grew up, and I, I never thought I liked them because he was at, he actually did me a favor. And when I was in middle school, he had, he would take me and my brother, and he'd buy an old foreclosure house that needed a bunch of work, and it had just a refrigerator full of old food and a hot Georgia summer. It'd be just nasty, just you know, <laughs> rat, rats running out the back door and stuff. And I said, oh, this, so this is horrible. Oh, he, he 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 like I think he planned this, but you know he dropped me and my brother off, and he knew that we were probably not worth the money he was paying us. I think he paid us like five bucks an hour, or six bucks an hour, <laughs> but he dropped us off for like two or three hours and say, hey boys, here's some trash bags and some gloves. Uh, get this place cleaned up. And then he'd leave and he'd, he'd like go somewhere else. And here we are with these, you know, this nastiness. And <clears throat> we would say, we'd, we would complain like as little, you know, kind of, I guess we were spoiled kids at that point, but we'd complain about it. And I said, oh, who, who would ever buy real estate? This is horrible. They're ugly houses. They're nasty. And 
so lo and behold, after college, I, I, I saw so, a little bit of wisdom in my father and said, wow, he was actually doing some smart stuff. And I read some of the books on his shelf and saw the business model of how you uh, buy and fix up and sell houses and actually got my start by bird dogging, which I'll, I don't know if any people know what that means, but I was bird dogging. I was finding deals for my, for my dad for a year and bird dogging for those who didn't grow up in the South or somewhere in the country where uh, people actually hunt still. <laughs> bird dogs are these uh, dogs that you'll send into the, the bushes and they go out and they like, they point to a bird that you're going to, and they, uh, they kind of scare the bird up so you can shoot it and take it home and eat it. <laughs> so well, I was the one who was like uh, scrounging around. Yeah, I was scaring the homes up and then he would take them down and buy them. And it was really a great way to start, actually. I've, I've written some articles on bird dogging because when you're first starting, I had no experience in business. I had no capital. You know, I really didn't know anything. The only thing I had was energy and hustle. And so to be a bird dog in any business, to go out and, you know, the, you, you, the person tells you, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this kind of house. I'm looking for this kind of property in this kind of area. You know, you go out and talk to people and talk to realtors and talk to everybody else. And if you find a deal, I'll give you a small commission on that deal. It was, what, it was how I got my start. I learned the business and made a little bit of money. And after a year, <clears throat> I uh, kind of went my own way and, and did my own thing and moved back up to South Carolina from Georgia. And I started my own business. And that's that's where it's, it's gone from there. It kind of it grew from that. And today, just kind of wrapping up that story is that uh, we've, we've bought and sold a lot of houses. I have a business partner, um, but we bought and sold a lot of houses and then eventually moved into rental properties and owned some uh, apartment buildings and some small some houses that we rent out. And that's become sort of our, our kind of core portfolio business is just to manage those and rent those out. And it's gotten to the point, you know, there's always work to be done, but it's, it's, it's a pretty good point now where my wife and I are living in Ecuador this year and living off a of rental income from the from the homes we have back in South Carolina. So it's a, it's been a, it's been a kind of a rocky ride, but we can talk about that, but it's been a, that's sort of my business story in a nutshell. That's really cool. So Ecuador, first of all, for those that didn't catch that, the fact that you're in Ecuador living in sort of off of rental property or mostly off of rental property says that this can be successful, but of course you'll need a little hustle as you pointed out. And I think a lot of people in real estate, they always look for the home run, right? They think they have to find the big homes and all this you, bird dogging. When I first read this, I was like, what in the hell <laughs> is bird dogging? But when you bring it up and the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, people have to stop waiting to get a license or permission to do something and find the opportunities or the fragments on the outside to create the pathway for what they want to get into. So real estate, you can say, oh, I don't have a license. I I don't know anything about homes, but you do know a good deal when you see one. So why don't you try to link up with somebody who has all of those things and at exactly. least get in the way of what you're you're looking to ultimately do? Yeah, and that you you mentioned one of the good points about real estate in general. I mean, one of the reasons I love the business. I mean, there, there I think any business you look at, you're always looking for sort of competitive advantages and you're also looking for barriers to entry. You know, you don't want something that everybody in the whole world can get into. Mm -hmm. So the, the competitive advantage though, I think that a lot of people have in real estate is, is very local. Like, so if you're, you're sitting in Raleigh, North Carolina, you, know, you can look at online and look at some houses or some properties in Clemson, South Carolina, where I live. And you really wouldn't have an idea. I mean, you might say, oh, that looks like a good deal. That might be a good deal. But you really have to get local and you have to drill down on neighborhood by neighborhood, street by street, to really understand the fundamentals of a real estate market. 
but but that's also an advantage. So if you if you live somewhere or you grew up somewhere and and you know all the local market dynamics, you actually have an advantage because you've lived in houses there, you've rented houses there, you and so you you know what school districts are good. You know what you know you would know what neighborhoods to to that are the best ones that are coming up and coming. You know the ones that are probably kind of flat. And so you have some of that knowledge. You don't have to go out like if you were to go and try to get into microprocessors or something. You know you wouldn't have no clue about that product. But real estate is pretty intuitive. Now that that's the competitive advantage. The probably the you know on the other side you want always you always want to have a barrier. You want to have a barrier to entry, and that local market knowledge is a barrier to entry. But the competitive advantage you have is is an early upstart. Is you you might not have the money. Like I didn't have the money, so you you've got to figure out a way to take this entire real estate pie and slice it down into one little kind of piece of it when you first start. And for me, I saw the the most important piece of the entire funnel of real estate investing is finding good deals. And so I I looked at it and said, you know, if I if I could if I get to take that first little tiny slice of just identifying what a good deal looks like. You know, I, I could do all the rest. I could figure out how to find the money. I could figure out how to rehab them. I could figure out how to sell them. But if I could do that first slice, that was a really kind of good place to start and learn early on. So, Chad, you you bring up an interesting point about good deals and finding good deals. So, you and I happen to be in an area in the South that is well. You're in Ecuador right now, but you're from Clemson, South Carolina. I'm in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina. I mean, this this area in particular is booming right now with homes and people buying homes and property that's undeveloped. And so if you're looking right. for real estate and good deals on land, this this is the area you want to be in where you and I are at. But what about people that are in Boston and Chicago and places like that? The good deals seem to be in places where you have to sleep in the tub at night because of what <laughs> happened outside. So how, how, do you, yeah. how do you get around that? Or I, I'm sure there's gems that you're going to tell me you find within the the pockets of neighborhoods, but how do you really zone in on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that's for me. That's sort of the uh, market analysis question, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it really is true that certain markets are better for certain types of real estate investing than others. And just for example, I think the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area where you are it has some really good fundamentals, and one of the most important fundamentals you're looking at, no matter where you are, anywhere is you want to make sure there's population growth and you want to make sure there's job growth or at least steady. You, know, you, you if you have the if you have a one, if you're in a town that has one big employer like you have a military base, you know, that's a, that's a good employer for now, but what if they, you know, what if they the, in the appropriations next year they jerk all the funding out and they close your base down and everybody every employer in town now is is scrambling. That's right. And so you you know you're in Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill which has a very diverse economy, has people moving in, the weather's good. And so that, like, when you're looking like from a big like thirty thousand foot level, you always want to start with like those macroeconomic kind of trends. So from that standpoint, your area is good. My area in the south is good. But even areas that are kind of higher price, I mean, like, there's a reason that Boston and New York City and San Francisco and L.A. and Chicago, a lot of these big cities, I mean, people move to the cities. I mean, it's just there's there's opportunities there. There's culture there. And for that reason, sometimes the prices get sort of unhinged mm-hmm. from the fundamentals. Financial part of real estate is you always want to make sure that the the rent is at least in line with the price of the house or the property. So, like if if the, if the property rents for a thousand bucks and it costs a million bucks to buy it, it's all speculation. There's no way to make any kind of income work on that property. It's kind of like a a dividend rate in stocks. You know, the, you, you can have a low dividend rate, but you always got to have some kind of dividend. 
if, if it gets so low that it's just minuscule, it's, it's not an investment property anymore. It's just, it could be fun. It could be a speculative, but so that, that's sort of the two big things I look at is you want a market that generally has okay rent to price ratios and you want another market. You also want to have something that has some good kind of economic uh, fundamentals. Now, with all that said though, you know, I know people making money in California and Florida and some areas with higher prices and you have to get a little bit more creative in those locations. You have to, you might have to do what you said. You might have to kind of work on the edge of, and you need to look at the neighborhoods that used to be bad, but now, you know, people are revitalizing them and people are turning homes around. Um, you might be that person who goes in and buys a whole block and, you know, turns the block around and, and invests in people and invests in communities. Um, but you also might be somebody who, you know, I do a lot of what are called like value add deals where you look at it on the surface and you look at this apartment and, you know, man, the rent's really low compared to what I'm having to pay for this property. But you might find a way to kind of niche that down and you, you might find a way that to rent them to executives who are coming in to go to seminars every weekend in San Francisco or something. And you find a way to get a lot higher rent because you have some kind of little niche or competitive advantage. And so that's really what you have to do. You got to you got to turn your real estate into a business and figure out how to get more revenue from it, either through doing Airbnb or doing a specialty rental, doing a you know some, finding some some kind of angle that other people aren't figuring out. So I don't want to put you on the spot here, but is Detroit an area when we talk about revitalization? Is Detroit an area that you, Chad, today would be a place that you would invest in? So even though you live in South Carolina, you're currently in Ecuador. Um, so you don't live there per se. Would you invest in that region, that city? Yeah, I'm, I'm a real local investor, and I, and I and I don't for Detroit particularly. I don't know that I haven't studied it, and I haven't. You know, I, there's some other cities that I have had some clients or people I've helped and analyze, and I haven't looked at Detroit. You know, I, I wouldn't be. I would be a little more nervous about it. But again, I, I haven't studied the the real close fundamentals. But I think in general, you're, you're there's some of the areas that I call, kind of call the Rust Belt. You know the in, in Pennsylvania, old, old cities in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And there's some areas that are actually doing pretty well up there. I know Pittsburgh has been revitalized and I know some of the areas in Ohio have too. So it's, it's possible that it could be, be good. I just, I think if, if, if there's any question about the long-term economics, you just need to make sure you buy it a lot lower price. You need to get your money back faster from rent instead of trying to speculate and assume that things, it, it might be like I, I own mobile homes sometimes. And when I buy a mobile home, I don't assume that 15 years from now, my mobile home is going to be worth more than it is today. Mm. It's kind of like a car. It's car. It's going to be worth less than what it is today. And so that being the case, I need to make a lot more money on the rent and not count on it going up in value. And so I don't know, I don't know all the particulars of Detroit, but if I were to go in there and start kind of taking a chance, I would just want to make sure I make a really good return. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure there's some pockets of Detroit that are doing well. So I, I just, I don't know that for sure. So I definitely want to talk about house hacking, which is something that you talk about, you wrote extensively about some really good stuff out there to share with people, particularly those who may not have money or a little money and they want to start getting involved in real estate and investing and such. But you've sure. been in the industry for a very long time, somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 to 15 years. You've certainly seen the housing bubble collapse, if you will. And you can, I think you were alluding to that earlier in this conversation where you said you've seen your bumps in the road. So I can only imagine yeah. that that was one period. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it was. You know, so I have a two part question here. The first part is, how did you get past that? And what did that look like for you? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And it, I think it, it applies to every business, not just real estate, because we all have our ups and downs and roller coasters. And so we, we were, you never can time things perfectly, but my business partner and I, we started in 2003. We kind of got our feet wet and really got, un, you know, got things rolling. But then we, we started ramping up. I mean, really ramping up where we actually spent a lot on marketing. We got good at buying right in 2006, 2007. And we actually had, 50 closings where we bought 50 properties in, in 2007, right? In, for all, everybody knows the timeline, like to, to the end of 2007, early 2008 was like the cliff, you know, so, everybody so was falling off. Your timing <laughs> couldn't have been worse is what you're Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, if, if anybody had any premonitions that I actually was, in, was smart and knew what I was doing here at the beginning of the call, you can go ahead and kind of throw this out the window now. But uh, you know, so we bought a bunch of properties. You know, actually, some of them, a lot of them did well. We, we, we flipped them and made good money on them. We had other ones that were rental properties that we got financing was long-term financing, low interest, where if we just held on to them for 10 or 15 years, we'd own them free and clear and have sort of a retirement plan. But then we had a, you know, a not insignificant handful of properties that we just screwed up where we, we bought them in the wrong locations where we paid too much. Uh, you know, we had to, we underestimated repairs. We, had some where we underestimated the, the expenses on our rentals, so we had negative cash flow on a few. So we, we just had some screw ups because we just we got going so fast. And I, I think the lesson at the end of the year, uh, we my business partner and I said so we got to slow down a little bit. We saw the storm clouds on the horizon, and and we started thinking about it was good because we started thinking about what our business model really was. Why are we doing this? And and so it forced us to sort of shift around. And, and for me, at least. I'm not a real big, like huge growth, uh, build, buy, get a bunch of employees kind of business. I'm a very lean, work out of my house, keep it lean forever, and just just make make money, but kind of have a lifestyle business. So we did, we made that choice after that to say we don't need to get big and huge and go crazy with this. But the other thing that we realized that we had done well to sort of accidentally was I, I'm just very frugal anyway, and I lived. I lived in house hacks, which we can talk about to, to keep my expenses low. I lived, you know, when I first started, I lived in the spare bedroom of my business partner's house. And so we, we, we didn't spend a lot of the money we made over the three or four years before that. We piled up cash. We had some reserves and we had to use every bit of that, <laughs> that as we, over the next two or three years. And I think the lesson to me as an entrepreneur was number one, keep your overhead super low because when times are good, you think you can spend the money. But there's always a rainy day coming around the corner. And so you, you, you both need to save that money for the, the negative risks that you just can't see coming. And you need to save that money for opportunities as well, because there's going to be some, you know, at the same time we had that, the downturn, there were some really, that was the best opportunities in the last 75 years in real estate was 2009, 10, 11. And so once we sort of figured out what we were doing and we kind of, we didn't necessarily solve all the problems that we had created, but we at least kind of put a salve on them and we kind of made sure they weren't going to kill us. We were actually able to buy some good deals in 2010 and 11. And, and that really helped us kind of catapult us to the next level after the recession was over. Um, so I think th- those are lessons that we really sank in for us. You know, I think you bring up a good point here because as we talk about the housing bubble that everybody is familiar with today and why it happened and of course, there was a lot of nefarious stuff that went on that hurt a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Investors who weren't in positions of trying to buy homes for their families, they were just investing, but still hurt because they may have bought too much or whatever. The key behind it is making sure that you have some cash reserves to weather the storm in a sense, because 
not everybody during 2008 and 2009 and whatever the period was hurting. That was a time when what people were running one way, as Warren Buffett would say, you had another group that was running towards the storm because they had the liquid there, if you will. Exactly. That's the lesson. I mean, when blood's in the streets, I think Warren Buffett says that's when he's that's when he likes to buy. You know? yep. And he said, and it's a short period. I mean, it's, it's right, the, right now that the market shifted, you know, there's a lot more. There's still opportunities. There's always opportunities to buy. But it's a different kind of market now. It, it was it, it was super easy to buy deals that made good cash flow all around the country in 2009 and 10. Now it's more of a normal market. You actually have to work hard to find good deals. You got to be creative, and uh, it was just a lot easier though. I know some of the regulations have changed, and there's a lot more eyeballs on there. But with that, there's still a lot of stuff and things underlying. And I don't know if we'll see it similar to 2008, but do you think we'll see another crash of some sort within the housing market in the next you know, handful of years or so? And it may not be fair to ask just because you may not have the statistics there to say, but typically like investing on Wall Street, things kind of repeat itself. So do you think there's something that could be there as people are thinking about getting into real estate? You know where I'm going with that. So. Yeah, sure. Well, you, you saw how well I predicted 2008. So that, you kind of take, take, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, you know, what, one thing we know is that the market will always, in real estate and everywhere else, will always go up. It's always going to come down. You know, so I'm not really good at predicting it. I, I think you can look at it better on a local level than you can on a national level. I think you can tell and I think that's really where we ought to focus. Like those are the fundamentals that I was talking about earlier. Like, are, are, is your town bringing in jobs or is your, is the city you live in, is the, is the local government investing in the right things? Are they making sure neighborhoods are turned around? Are they making sure the school system's good? I mean, those are the things that really matter in real estate. And the, the ups and downs of the economic cycle have a lot to do with the debt. And they have, they have a lot to do with like what banks are doing, what the, the international monetary cycles are, are happening. So we really can't control those. What we can control is kind of taking advantage of opportunities at the moment. And if, if I were you and if, if I were whoever is listening, if you're looking at your local market, go back to those fundamentals I was talking about. If, if, you, if you can't find any deal that makes sense that is any kind of decent cash flow, you know, that's, that's probably a sign. You need to look around and, and try to find other, maybe other markets, other types of deals, maybe another business. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think you ever want to force it just because you like real estate. I think you ought to, you, you're, just, you're a business first and you're a business to make money and to reinvest that money to help your family, to, to help society like you do with your business. You got to make sure the fundamentals work. And right now, the thing I would be careful about, I think there's plenty of good deals, is, but there's also some of that kind of speculative uh, kind of fervor coming back a little bit. You know, there's, there's a lot more people getting into it, both in the stock market and in real estate. So you just got to be even more disciplined with your fundamentals. Be, be okay passing on a deal if it doesn't meet your criteria and go look at the next. There's, there's always another deal. There's always another one. And when you're first starting in particular, I always tell people, you probably need to look at 100 deals before you know really what a good deal looks like. So hundred deals that that could take a while. If you're looking at five or ten a week, I mean that's that's a, that's gonna be weeks before you actually kind of build your muscle of understanding what it, how to analyze a good deal and understand your market. I, I think it, that still applies today, but uh, I, I think you should always be careful on the other side. There there could be things that happen just like for me in 2007. I I, did, I didn't see it coming. We didn't see it coming. And so having those reserves, making sure you don't take you know, stretch yourself too thin. Don't buy that extra house that really puts you over the edge in terms of reserves and cash flow. You know, th- those are sort of things you can control as opposed to the outside market. Good stuff there. 
So one of the things that you've shared a lot about is this idea around house hacking. You're the first one that I've ever heard kind of approach essentially erasing your mortgage and coming up with either a net positive or whether you break even way of living in a place and not essentially paying the mortgage. But And maybe I'm not explaining that in its right form, but but tell us what house hacking is actually. Sure. So, so house, you know, we've talked a lot about real estate investing in general, but one of the things that I like to talk to people about, because not everybody's going to get in the business of investing like I am, and that's totally fine. But everybody lives in a house, either as a renter or an apartment. And they live in as a renter or they own a house. And that there's a, there's endless debates about whether it's better in certain markets to rent or buy. You know, which one's better to do? I'm in the buying camp as long as you're is you look at your home ownership like an investor. And so one of the ways to do that is to to do what's called a house hack. And this is this is good for anybody, but it's particularly good. Like I did it when I was in my 20s, when I was first starting, and I was an entrepreneur. And I didn't have a lot of, uh, you didn't have a lot of capital saved up, but also didn't have a lot of money that I wanted to spend on housing. And so what I did was I bought a, uh, in my case, I bought a quadruplex, so a four-unit uh, rental building, and it could be a quadruplex, it could be a duplex, it could be a house with a basement that you could rent out on Airbnb or a kind of a guest house. And there's all sorts of different properties that you can use this for. But the, the principle is you live in one unit and you buy the property. Typically you get like an FHA or like a homeowner, a really good solid like owner occupant kind of loan. Sometimes you can get those with 3% down, 5% down, 10% down. And then you move in and you live in that unit and you rent out the other units. And in my case, the numbers are, we can just do kind of some general numbers just to give people an example. Um, this is how many years ago? 12 years ago. So the rents have actually gone up a lot. Mm-hmm. But I moved, I moved in and the rents in my other three units were $400 per unit. And so I had $1,200 coming in from the three units. And my mortgage, principal interest, taxes, and insurance were about $1,090 or let's say $1,100 a month. And so I had $100 positive every single month that I could use towards maintenance and other expenses on my house. But I was, you know, everybody, other friends that I had were out there paying 1000 bucks per month for their house. And I was living for free, basically. And I could take that $1,000 that I would have been spending and I could invest that in real estate. I could invest that in the stock market. I could put it in a Roth IRA or in an IRA or, you know, whatever I wanted to do. That money was real because I basically, you know, taken away my housing payment by living in a place that I could rent out. The reason why I like this concept is because people can see how this is easily not only one way of paying what typically is our biggest expense outside of cars, maybe our monthly expense that is, but you still can work a full-time job. You still can do other things. And this essentially becomes a side hustle, if you will. But how laborious does it get in terms of filling it up with tenants, building issues, Things of that nature. How you know you're net positive with a hundred dollars, and of course you saved a thousand because you're not paying into any kind of rent. But did you find yourself bogged down with the day to day activity of having a four unit apartment complex? I mean, not at all. I mean, I, I did, I've learned the business of management a little bit, so you know, there's some there's some basic systems and things you, you need to learn. So I'm not gonna kind of sugarcoat it completely to tell people that oh wow, this is just the easy thing, but what I like to compare it to is that if you're going to get into business, if you're going to have a side hustle, you've got the whole spectrum of things that are going to take your time and energy. And house hacking or rent, you know, renting out one to three units is all the way on like the left side, the easy end of that business side business spectrum. I mean, it's really not a big deal. I mean, yes, there might be occasionally somebody's going to say, hey, my toilet's running. 
can you help me out? Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not a handy person <laughs> at all. Like I, I can make a list like the, the best of them. You know, I can say, do this, do this, do this. But you know, I, I've got a plumber on my, on my phone and my plumber comes out and fixes it. So, <laughs> right. you know, I could do that from Ecuador. I could do that from anywhere. So people text all day long on their phone about stuff that doesn't meaningless, you know? So getting a, a text once a day and saying, Hey, can plumber, can you go fix that? W- would not be that big a deal. And that's really what it comes down to is just every once in a while, you got to keep an eye on things. And, you know, if, if you own a home, you're going to have maintenance anyway. So it's, it's not really that much different in terms of just kind of making sure your house is maintained and take care of it. But the, the other thing in terms of filling up uh, rentals, there's a little bit of work on making sure you screen the right tenant, get the right person in there. Um, but that, that's one of those things. If you do a lot of the work on the front end of learning how to make sure you do a credit check and make sure you do a background check, make sure they can afford the house or the apartment. If you do that work up front, you get a good tenant. They'll stay for three or four years sometimes. And so that's, there's no more work to be done there. Uh, so I, I think the benefit, the cost benefit uh, analysis is pretty strong in terms of just doing a little rental on the side. It's not, it's not a hard business to learn. You can read my website, Bigger Pockets, to learn kind of the basics of how to do that stuff. But the upside, I mean, gosh, if you look at the upside of saying, I've just cut a thousand bucks out of my life. Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, four or five years from now, maybe you move out. Now you've got a rental property that cash flows with a good solid loan. You know, you've just built your retirement plan if you do one or two of those and you get those paid off. Now, you, you know, 20 years from now, you get those paid off. You've got four or five thousand bucks a month coming in after the rents have gone up and you've got a retirement plan from this some little work you did for 10 years of your life, uh, early in your life. Now, Chad, on these first initial buildings, I imagine they required a little bit of work, right? So it wasn't like ready, move in, right. tenants are in. So it required some upfront work and investment from you. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I, the rule of thumb I like to tell people is the better, the better deals you find are the uglier, <laughs> the uglier properties. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, it, it, take, take a friend who, do, who doesn't really like real estate in there or a spouse or somebody and if they're like totally disgusted with the property, kind of like I was when I was in middle school, then good. That's good. You know, that mean, that mean, that's, that's the one you want because, because other people are going to be disgusted by it too. And they're going to run. And this is a supply demand thing. You, you want the, you want the demand for the property you're trying to buy to be really, really small. You want to be the only person looking at it who wants to buy it. And the, the more people that can buy it, the, the more difficult it's going to be to get a good deal. And like my, my quadruplex, for example, um, people can go to my, if they're just curious about what it looked like, you can link in the show notes or Coach Carson house hacking if you Google it. Yep, we'll I, have a pic- it. I, have a, I have a picture of this quadruplex. It said it had Merry Christmas spray painted across the entire <laughs> front of the building. <laughs> somebody, somebody had uh, it had been vacant so long and a bank had taken it back that somebody had you know, just been graffitiing the side of it and wrote Merry Christmas. And I, I got a big kick out of that because it was kind of like my Christmas present. Was it was this house act property I had to buy? Um, but you know, it, that, would scare, that was it. That would scare me, man. I probably <laughs> just the fact that it says Merry Christmas is very eerie. I'm like, that is yeah. the place I would buy. You've been in the space for a while, so you found these homes. You've kind of fixed them up, got in there, wiped off the Merry Christmas, and and yep. moved in, and you know, made it a part of your residual income there. So I'm sure you know some different investment opportunities and good ways for people to finance a lot of this. So I'm thinking about people right now that can't go through the the ordinary. So for example, I just applied, my wife and I just applied for Quicken Loan Rocket Fuel. We were approved for a nice sizable amount, but that doesn't necessarily happen for everybody. 
So what kind right. of finance options are out there for people to be able to get started in some of this? There's a whole spectrum of, of financing out there. I mean, you, you mentioned kind of the more traditional route. And you know, if you're somebody who has a job and credit and like you have a kind of a steady job, that's the easiest way to go is there's some really good... Like if you're doing a house act, for example, that needs a little bit of work, it needs some repairs on the front end. There's some conventional loans, which means like kind of you go to a mortgage broker or a mortgage banker... There's some, actually some remodel loans for, for this type of property. And I think there's a Fannie Mae and an FHA loan that both of those have programs where you can buy the house, put 5% down or 3% down, and they'll actually loan some of the money for the remodeling as well. Those are really interesting if you can do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, would, I would definitely check that out first. Like That's the easiest route to go. If you can't go that route, which I was actually in that boat because I was a self-employed real estate investor. And you know that, that's kind of like a cuss word when you walk into a bank. <laughs> when they're like, you're, you're a what? You're 27 years old or 25 years old and you're self-employed? That means you're unemployed. That doesn't mean... <laughs> that's right. So I was not a, I was not a very loanable uh, borrower at that point. But I, I did have some hustle and I had some... You know, I knew what I was doing by finding good deals. And so actually, I went the private money or in local bank and private money routes. So like I had a, a relationship with a, it was actually a professor of mine at Clemson that I built over the years. And I told him that I was buying rental properties and he would help me with a couple of different ways. One, he might just loan me the money. So if you can find people who have, there are individuals out there, like I actually do this now some myself locally, is that if, if, if I know somebody locally who's, who's I trust and has, does a good job, I might loan them the money to buy the property and it's going to be a little, it's going to be higher interest typically you know instead of 5% you might be paying 10% you know to this local investor but that that gets you the money to buy the property and then maybe you get it fixed up you get it turned around you get it rented out and then the the house is performing better or the property is performing better you might be able to refinance it at that point because in my case the property was worth a lot more it was worth i bought it for i had 120,000 invested in it and it was worth 150 or 160 after i did all the work to it and so I was able to refinance and pull out some of the money with a bank loan after that. But going back to your question though, conventional mortgages are good. Private loans with like local investors, local individuals. Another, some people call that hard money loans. They're higher, they're higher interest, but if you have a really good deal, sometimes it can make sense to do that short term. You, you don't want to pay 10% interest for a long time. It just does, it's hard to make that work, but that's a possibility. And then the third possibility that I worked on was uh, seller financing. And it's, it's sort of an art form to, and not something that everybody knows about or can, it's not something you find every day, but I would find a lot of sellers. Just for an example, I found a, a gentleman who had owned a property for 30 or 40 years. He's, he's an old, you know, older landlord. He's, he's kind of tired of the business or she's tired of the business and the, the property's kind of run down because they haven't been taking care of it. And so I might go to them and say, I would love to buy your property. If I have to go to the bank or get a private loan, I've got to pay this price, this lower price. But if you'll finance it, I'll pay a little bit of a premium. I'm not going to overpay for the property, but maybe I'll pay a little bit more if you'll finance it to me with 10% down at 5% interest for the next 15 years. Wow. And I found, so I found sellers who, you know, you think about it from their perspective, they have an option. They have this two or $300,000 property that if they sell it, where are they going to put their money? You know, they, they, they just want the income, but they don't want the hassle. And so I found a lot of, you can kind of look at that as a partnership between you and the seller and the seller finances their equity. They, they own the property free and clear typically, and they finance it to you. And I've, I've got some great deals. Even this last year, I got one like that where the seller stayed in the deal with me and they turn, basically turn their equity 
in the property into an annuity, into a regular monthly payment. And I do all the work. I do the tenants. They don't deal with any of that. They just they have a mortgage on the property and they get interest from me and a mortgage payment from me every single month. Chad, what I especially like about your blog, your site, and what you put out there on bigger pockets and all the information that you provide, you know, as I think about this, because what I try to do is put myself in a position either you know, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate. My wife and I, we've kind of worked through the years and we've established some things so we can get things. But I also look at myself when I'm 20 something and my son is 20 something. And I can imagine the things that are stacked up against him. And I'm always trying to think to myself like, well, but what if this happens? And because sometimes not having any credit is as bad as, you know, that's a bad credit score. And how can people get around that? And and you have so many different ways to so for example we talked about bird dogging you brought that up at the very early you know when you get into things like that people have to stop looking at it as uh, well there he says again you have to get a loan he already knows that i can't get a loan well do the bird dogging or walk around yeah. in your neighborhoods like you talked about you can't just quit at every door that seems closed if you really right. want to get in the space there's the open windows no pun intended yep. that <laughs> you can kind of get into and and really work the angles, but you have to be willing to hustle. Exactly. You know, you mentioned your son. I, I really have a passion for people in that kind of space because I was there, you know, when, you, when you're 20 something, you're 30 something and you're you're kind of at that place where you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm listening to a guy like Chad who's, you know, got a bunch of properties and he's living in Ecuador. I, I can't really relate to that. Right. But I, I'm with you. I, I think that the, the big question is when you're first starting, like how do, how do you just get in the game? That's right. And I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head is you just got to, if, if you know it's a good opportunity, you got to be flexible. You got to be willing to hustle, and you, you got to go in with you got to go into whatever business you're starting with a toolbox. You can't you can't just say I've got a hammer and I'm going to use this hammer. You know you've got to be willing to be flexible and and use whatever tool works. You know and that and if you have no credit, and no money, you know that's a it is a disadvantage. I mean it'd be better if you had credit and money, but won't use it as an excuse. You got to find a way, and particularly in with real estate, if if you can go out and find good, you either have to find the deal. You got to find the money, one of the two. And so, if you if you already got money, go find a little bird dog. Go find a young Chad who wants to go go out and find deals. Partner up with that person, and y'all do business together. Um, if you're the if you're the young person who has no money, go find a person with money and say, hey, here's a deal. Can we work together somehow? Because I, I promise you, if you look out in the business world, in the investment world today, there is so much money. You probably run into this as well. I mean, there there's tons and tons of people who have money who are getting like a half a percent return in some kind of bond or some kind of CD. And if you're a, a honest, hardworking entrepreneur who's got a, a good business idea, a good investment, and you go and pitch it to somebody, there, there are people who will invest the money with you. You might have to get nine rejections before you get one yes. But if you're willing to plug at it and make it, make it happen, I, I just think there's, there, there's tons of opportunities in real estate. There's tons of opportunities in other businesses. And I, I just I get excited thinking about those 20-something and 30-something people who kind of have that entrepreneurial dream because you know, don't don't let other people squash it. There, there's, a, there's a way to do it. You're going to have to live frugally. You're going to have to kind of hustle a little bit. But I mean, the long-run payoff is, is awesome. You, yeah. you ought to go for it. Yeah. You watch television shows where people are on there and they're doing this incredible flipping and all this amazing stuff is happening. In the meantime, they have an account and they didn't tell you about the, the beginning years where they had to start building yeah. this cash reserve in a sense that we talked about. So they're a little bit further along when you watch Flip My House or these different exactly. people. That they're further along in their flipping process, but it mm-hmm. doesn't mean, as you've shown, 
that you can't get started somewhere because you brought it up for the real estate guy that's looking for great deals out there to pay you half a percent on a particular home is nothing to him, but that's a lot for you depending on how much that home is. So you just got to do a little math and like you said, have the hustle. So look, we're going to wrap up in a minute here, but you bring up something else that I read about master leasing. Can you talk about that real briefly about what that is and, and what that means? And I think you shared it somewhere as, as like a side hustle income. What can you do there? I want to thank today's sponsor, ConvertKit. Get the automations and email marketing tools you need to grow your blog and business. Join 13,000 plus bloggers and try ConvertKit today. ConvertKit offers so many things that when I was working with MailChimp, I just couldn't get or I couldn't figure out. You can create simple text-based emails without focusing on design. Tags are your best friend. When you go inside, you can create tags to segment and filter your audience better. Basic form and landing pages are awesome and unique. If you don't have HTML skills, if you do have HTML skills, feel free to flaunt them. If you don't, that's okay. Work with it. ConvertKit offered everything I needed for somebody who has multiple sites trying to build multiple brands on multiple different forms. And I just couldn't do the same thing in MailChimp. Go to the link within the podcast notes for today's episode and check out ConvertKit. Tell them I sent you. Sure. Yeah. So this is kind of like that that financing question you asked. Like how do you how do you get into real estate? Because you know real estate is a big number. You got to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy real estate, and everybody thinks about kind of in that same little box. They say, I just got to go out to the bank, I got to get a loan, and I got to buy a property. And that's the only way people know how to buy a property. Well, if you look at like the commercial world and some of the more advanced real estate people, they don't always buy the property. They actually make money off of a property by controlling it with other tools. And in this example that you mentioned, that you, instead of buying the property, you could actually do a lease on the property. And so uh, a lease, you know, we all, we all know what uh, leases are. You know, we've rented a property before where we just we live in the house, we let, lease it. Well, that, when you lease a property, you actually have certain rights that they, they give you. And so you can live, you can, number one, you could just occupy the property but you could actually add a clause to your lease. And this is what a lot, some commercial investors do. And you could do as a, in a residential world too, is you could add a clause that allows you to sublease to other people in the property. And, and I think a real simple example of this that might be relevant to a lot of people, because I've heard several people doing this all over the world, actually, is let's say that you could talk to your landlord and you, you're renting a three-bedroom apartment. And this might be one of these high price places, people in San Francisco or New York or something. You rent this three bedroom or two bedroom apartment and they allow you to sublease it. And you say, look, I'm going to, I'm good for it. Here, I've got good credit. I'm giving you a big deposit. Um, can I, can I have the right to sublease it to somebody else? And if they allow you, if you negotiate that and they allow you to do it, let's say your lease is $2,000 a month to the landlord you could go out and find some, well, let's say that the second bedroom you could rent out for 1500 bucks. You know, you, maybe, maybe you got it below value. Maybe that apartment's really worth 2500 and you got it for 2000 Well, you could go out and rent the second bedroom for 1500 and you've now taking, taken a housing expense that used to be, you know, 2500 or 2000 and you've got 1500 bucks coming in from your, your subtenant and you're living for 500 bucks a month instead of the full 2000 that's one example. That's that's called subleasing. That's called getting a master lease where you, the, the lease allows you to sublease it to someone else. You know, that's a real good basic kind of tool. But you can run with it from there. Like you, you could go back to my quadruplex example. 
I could go rent the, I could go find a landlord who's kind of run down the building and, you know, two of the, two of the units are vacant and the other two units are rented. They're, they're all below rent. You know, so you find an opportunity like that. I could go to the landlord and say, if I am, if I invested my own time and money fixing the property up, would you give me a five year lease on this property for a thousand bucks a month? And I'll guarantee you that rent. So you're not going to have to go find any other tenants, but I'm going to go lease the whole building out to other people. And so, so I pay that landlord a thousand bucks a month. I put some sweat equity and clean it up and paint it. And, and then I rent out all four units for 500 bucks a piece. And so I rent the entire building out for 2000. I pay the landlord a thousand and I make a thousand bucks a month for my time and money and investment up front. And I might never own that building. Like I could, I could never even buy it, but I make a thousand bucks a month for five years. Yeah. See, that's just good stuff right there. I mean, again, that comes down to you're not necessarily, obviously you're putting your name on the line a little bit and you have to be honest and front forward about things, but you're not putting so much in that you lose your soul in the deal. Not at all. And you're not, you're not borrowing money. Like one of the things that people get scared about with with real estate and they should be scared is you're, when you borrow money, when somebody loans you $300,000, you have to pay it back. (laughs) I mean, that, that money's not free. You know, that is the downside (laughs) to borrowing money, Chad. (laughs) You got to power it back. You got to pay it back with interest and with your blood. You know, that's, that's the, I'm always a little skeptical, you know, borrowing money is, there's the, People who are super savvy investors are always a little, you know, they're always, you're always careful when you borrow money. Uh, and so that's why these tools, I mean, so borrowing money is a tool. I'm not against doing it, but if you can use other tools like leasing and there's, we could talk about other ones that are related to that, like options. And um, so there's all sorts of other kind of variations, seller financing and rep notes. And so once you get into the business of real estate, it's kind of endless what you can learn. But I, I think the main point, kind of going back to the beginning, what we started talking about, that there's some basic fundamentals. There's the fundamentals of location and quality locations. Like you can do all the master leases you wanted, but if you did it in a location that was hopeless, is you know, it might be a good social. We could talk about like the social benefits and why maybe some social businesses ought to go invest in those areas and help improve those areas. That's another story. But just from a pure like investment kind of location, you need to look at the location and its, its viability on producing rent, growing, all that. And then you need to look at like the numbers. Um, but in between there, between those fundamentals, there's all sorts of little tools in your toolbox that you can use. And it just, and that's where your education comes in. You just got to learn, you got to read, you got to, you know, you're talking about getting your real estate license. I, I typically recommend people do that not because you need to have your license to invest in real estate, but it gives you more opportunities. You get, you know, if you're a bird dog, it's a lot easier to get paid if you have a license. It's just, you know, people can pay you a commission without worrying about, you know, that being illegal or something. So you, you go get educated, you find mentors, you find local groups, you get on bigger pockets, you subscribe to newsletters like mine and you learn. Um, and you, again, going, you just find one little slice of the business. Maybe it's a house hack, maybe it's a master lease, maybe you're a bird dog. You find one little thing, one little location, one little slice of the business that works, and then you just go master that one little piece, and then you just grow from there. That's good stuff. I see you guys right now driving in your car, and I see the little wheels spinning in your head. I see you want to get into this. I told you you're going to enjoy this. So, Chad, look, we're going to link up a lot of stuff in the show notes, but for the sake of those listening to the podcast here, why don't you share how they can find out more about what you do and blog posts, anything you want to share, how they can connect with you on Twitter, feel free to share it. 
Sure. Well, my, my home on the internet and I do social media as well. Facebook and Twitter, uh, LinkedIn at Co- Coach Carson, if you search for that. My main home though is uh, coachcarson.com. And if people go to my website, I've got a little a real estate toolkit that I give out. And it's, it's got things like it has a little video course on kind of the different niches of real estate, how to get started. I'll also give some documents. One of the main things people kind of stumble upon is when they're out looking at deals, like what are the basic formulas on how to analyze a deal? Like what's a good deal? What are the numbers? And so I have this, it's basically a two page form that I use on all my deals to help analyze and ask questions and all the information you need to know when you're looking at a deal. And so I give all that away in my little real estate toolkit. It's sort of like a starter, kind of starter package for people who are just interested in getting getting into it and learning more about it. So you can go to my website and uh, click on the newsletter and just give your email there and I'll send that to you. Chad, you've been gracious. I really appreciate it, my man. That was a lot of fun, Priest. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at AffiliateMission.com the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious.